Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Today on the show, we have Marco Santarelli. Marco, great to have you on our show. How are you doing? Great, Lolita. How are you guys? Good. We are good. Thanks for being here. Before we get into the interview, here's a little bit about Marco. Marco is an investor and author. He is also the founder of Narada Real Estate Investments, which is a nationwide provider of turnkey cash flow investment property. Since 2004, his company has helped thousands of real estate investors create wealth and passive income through real estate. Marco is also the host of the top-rated podcast titled Passive Real Estate Investing. So looking forward to our conversation today. With that being said, Marco, could you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Yeah, thanks, Lolita and Kyle. Uh, It's an honor to be on your show. Um, So in a nutshell, I consider myself an investor, first and foremost, an author, Um, and I like to be an educator, um, but I'm also a wealth creator, and I work with investors around the country. In fact, it's not just me. It's my entire team, my company. We work with investors around the country to help them create wealth and passive income, and I know you guys love passive income because that's what you talk about virtually every day here. Um, So, you know, I got started at 18. I bought my first rental. I jumped in, never read a book or took a course, uh, fixed it up, rented it, Um, you know, managed it myself. I basically did everything from A through Z and it worked out to be textbook. So they said the saying is the writing's on the wall. Um, I loved it, got my real estate license and I just continued to pursue a career in real estate part-time at the time. In 2003, I decided to go full-time because I I took two years off after a dot-com implosion. And um, I didn't want to go back into the corporate world, you know, the uh, rat race or the proverbial, you know, hamster wheel that wasn't for me. I've always been an entrepreneur. So real estate is a true wealth creator, as your, your listeners know, and as you guys know. And the fact that you can build wealth and create wealth and create passive income makes it, you know, the ideal vehicle, uh, quite literally. Uh, so in 2004, I bought uh, 84 units, 84 doors uh, in a nine-month period. And um, investors were coming to me saying, hey, can you help me, mentor me, coach me? Well, I didn't want to be a coach or mentor. So long story short, I created this business, Norada Real Estate Investments, to help those investors get those properties that they need to build their portfolio uh, without having to do a lot of the work and a lot of the due diligence. They still need to be involved, of course, but, um, but I was investing 3,000 miles away from Southern California here, as you can see behind me, um, in markets as far um, as Florida, uh, Georgia, Michigan, etc. So that's a, that's a long story, but as quick as I can answer it. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Thanks for the introduction. So people often say that passive income is a myth. What would you say to people with that type of mindset? I I don't know where anyone would get that, um, you know, that, that false information because I don't think uh, it's a myth and anybody who um, has friends that are telling them that passive income is a myth should probably find some new friends. (laughs) 
the reality is, is that there are thousands, tens of thousands of people in this country that generate passive income, whether it's through um, owning businesses, through the stock market, through, now when I say owning business, I mean as a passive owner, like an equity owner, not, not necessarily as the operator. Um, but uh, you, there are thousands of real estate investors and these people, whether they're apartments and multi-unit um, complexes or uh, they own mobile home parks or just single family homes, the fact that they're getting a deposit or a check in the mail is passive income. And so if you build that large enough, if you scale it, what happens is, is you create um, a stream of passive income that could literally create financial independence for you. And so uh, it's not a myth, it's a fact. There are, there are I don't want to say millions because that sounds like an exaggeration, but that's probably accurate. You know, in a country like ours where there's 350 million people, there are millions of people who create passive income through investments like real estate. And real estate is one of the best to create that passive income. Yeah, agreed. And so since your vehicle is through real estate, what are the benefits of real estate investing versus investing in or through Wall Street? Well, there's, there's a lot to be said about that. The thing with investing in Wall Street is you're, you're investing in a paper asset. You don't actually hold or own a hard asset. Number two, you have no control. Uh, when you own real estate, it's tr a true hard asset. It's a true inflation hedge. Uh, you control everything about it and you get all the benefits, the amortization of the loan, the appreciation, the cash flow, uh, the tax benefits, and the fact that you could leverage that five to one versus um, nothing, there's nothing else that even compares out, out there. Um, stocks, you can get a margin account and leverage it two to one, and that's great. Um, but then if uh, your stock portfolio drops, your broker might say, hey, we're going to call a margin call on you and you've got to make up the difference. So um, real estate just provides so much better value compared to the stock market or anything else. And I know there's, you know, people who are going to argue with me about the stock market, you know, saying, oh, no, you know, more millionaires are created in the stock market. That is actually not true. There are more millionaires created historically in real estate. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but that's, that's a comparison, at least with the stock market. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Okay, so let's switch the topic to uh, diversification. So in your opinion, what is the definition of true diversification? And where do people go wrong most of the time when they're trying to diversify? Well, the, the reason that people diversify and, and you know, some people refer to diversification as diversification, because what you're doing is you're making things worse for yourself. Um, when you talk to some more um, uh, financial advisors or tax advisors or strategists, you know, they'll say, well, hey, diversify across a large portfolio of different types of assets and asset classes. Usually these are paper assets. The issue with that is um, you don't know, really know what you're getting into. And if you're still in paper assets, it's still paper assets. The reason these, these, these uh, professionals suggest that you diversify is because they really have no control over the investments that they're recommending for you. And the fact is, is they don't know what's gonna to happen today, tomorrow, the next day, next year. So they're essentially hedging their bets, hedging their recommendations because certain asset classes or, or industries within an asset class will go down while others go up. And so it kind of levels itself off. And then I'm referring mostly to the stock market and, and paper assets or the equities market. So diversification is really, I hate to say it, and I don't want to offend anybody, but really a way to combat ignorance and lack of control. But when you look at real estate, 
you can diversify your investment portfolio by adding hard assets like real estate and can producing real estate into your portfolio. And that does wonders for your future, your financial future. But you can also diversify within the asset class of real estate by diversifying geographically. In fact, it's one of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing is to diversify geographically. So you build a small portfolio in one market, then you move to another market that's geographically different. And and then to a third market that's geographically different. So you're going to build three to five properties. I'm talking single family homes, duplexes, and fourplexes right now. When you're talking about apartments, it's a little bit different. And this is kind of what you know you guys are involved in. But in its simplest simplest form, you're really diversifying across three to five different markets. And that could be with single family homes, duplexes, it could be small apartments, whatever the case may be. But that's true diversification within the asset class. Okay. And within that asset class, you said three to five. Is there over diversification if you're in seven, 10, 15 markets? No, I would say there's over diversification. You're not hurting yourself, but there's no need to go beyond five typically. And the reason for that is, is because long answer, but really it's if you've if you're in three to five different markets that are truly geographically separated and they're they have their own local economies their own local business factors supply demand all that kind of stuff um you're you're pretty well insulated from fluctuations within real estate cycles and and to some degree the overall business um cycle or or, or what you might refer to as you know the economy as a whole at a national level so um it's the law of diminishing returns. When you get to five markets, adding more really doesn't change a whole lot. Okay, perfect. So when I was prepping for this interview, I came across your deal grader scoring system on your website. Can you talk about that and how it rates the quality of a real estate investment? Well, at a high level, basically what we're doing is it's just an algorithm. It's a, it's a calculation that looks at three main things, the financial performance of the property, um, well, actually, there's some several elements within that. It looks at the um, the the other two are economic factors. One is is the neighborhood, um, and the other is the uh, the market, the metropolitan statistical area. What it's been doing as far as uh, growth, price wise, and uh, population growth, and where it's trending to. So there's there's about seven different elements that are factored or baked into that cake. Um, but I, you know, I want to just caution people. It's just a metric. It's just, it's just a quick litmus test. It's just one variable, but no one should base their decisions solely on that thing. You, you need to look at everything holistically, the market, the neighborhood, you know, the cash flow performance, the condition of the property, and most importantly, your team. And that's really what I refer to as a top-down approach in real estate investing. You start with the market, you work your way down. A lot of people just focus on uh, the property and then they, um, you know, make the mistake of being married to a property that looks great on, in photos and looks great on paper, but then they realize, oh, I'm in the middle of a war zone. So you have to have a holistic yeah. approach to real estate investing. Yep, absolutely. So you've been investing since 2003. So you definitely went through the market correction in 08. In your opinion, what, what, what were the key factors that kind of got you through that time? Scaling back, cutting expenses, um, having reserves to weather through those two years or three years. And I, I know a lot of people did exactly that, but most people didn't and they actually closed shop. They failed. You know, it's not that it's not because they uh, had a bad idea or, or a bad business model. The, the reason a lot of people failed is because they didn't plan. 
Um, now, if you want to focus on individual investors specifically, uh, the reason a lot of people filed bankruptcy or, or walked away from their properties, um, foreclosed on their properties back then is because they were speculators. They weren't investing in property or, or real estate that cash flowed from day one. That's critically important because I refer to as cash flow as the glue that just holds your deal together. So if your tenant is paying all your expenses and your mortgage and you have something left over, guess what? You can weather through uh, real estate cycles and economic cycles. Uh, it's critically important that you're cash flow positive. If that doesn't happen, then what happens is, is in 2008 or when you, you know, have a situation where you have a down cycle, if your property value drops below the, 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 your cost basis where you bought it or even it's below what you owe on the property and you're upside down, in other words, you're underwater, not only is the property worth less than what you bought it for, but now you can't even afford to pay it every month and carry it through the years it's going to take for that property to turn around. And even if it doesn't dip below what you bought it for, the fact is, is never buy real estate unless it's generating income for you. Because the whole idea is you want to create that passive income and create wealth. The wealth happens over the long term, happens over time. But the income can happen day one when you close escrow. So you, you need both and you want both. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we follow three rules, right? Cash flow on day one, secure long-term debt, and have enough reserves in the bank to uh, weather a storm. So that's great. Late last year, you had a show focused on the five housing trends that'll change the market in 2009. Can you talk about those? Well, those, those are, would make up two episodes on your show. <laughs> it's just that, that much content. Um, I'll, I'll just touch upon them at a very high level. What, what we've been seeing over the last couple of years is affordability dropping. Um, property values are appreciating rapidly in most markets or have been appreciating rapidly in most markets for many years now, actually since about 2013 in most markets. And what happens is, is property values appreciate faster than rents often. Uh, but even for homeowners, people that are looking to buy, what happens is, um, you know, you get to a point where fewer and fewer people in that market can afford housing. So, you know, when you go to get financing and your, your lender is looking at how much of your income is going to go towards the mortgage payment, you know, they like to see about 30%, 35. There's different metrics there, you know, they'll go up to about 40. But if your income doesn't increase, but property values are increasing and mortgage, and mortgage rates are increasing, you know, the affordability starts to drop. We've seen that slow down last year. We're certainly seeing that slow down this year. Um, in fact, about 75% of the markets across the country have seen a deceleration, uh, a significant deceleration in property value uh, increases, in other words, appreciation. So that's a good thing because the markets need a breather, but we are seeing affordability drop, and I believe that's gonna continue right through to 2020. Um, just refer to it as a breather. It's not, it hasn't become a problem, but where the problem lies is a lack of affordable housing. Um, so in terms of mortgage rates, they will probably continue to go up. However, um, I don't think there's gonna be as many rate increases this year as was expected or that we saw last year. And the reason for that is because um, you know, the yield curves are, are flattening out and they're becoming too close to each other. So, you know, without getting technical about it, 
um, you know, the Federal Reserve is not going to want to be as aggressive in, in raising rates. Not that that directly impacts uh, mortgage rates, but indirectly it will. Um, but uh, we'll probably see another bump in rates, um, you know, at the, uh, from the Fed as well as in the mortgage market. Uh, but I would, as an investor, if you're getting financing, at least 30-year fixed-rate financing, you're probably going to see, you know, the upper 5% range, uh, which is still historically low. Um, you know, with apartments it's, and you know, multifamily, what you guys do, it's going to be a little bit different. But you'll probably still see um, some drying up in the credit markets, and so you'll see rates uh, go up. Uh, what else can I tell you? Um, like I said, this is you know this is a, a topic in its in its in an, in and of itself. Um, the luxury market is you know the McMansions and the luxury market. That whole thing is not really investment grade property, but you're going to see a softening in those areas, um, which is probably a good thing. I mean, there's there's kind of a trend for people to start moving uh, into smaller homes especially because of the baby boomers, you know, they're wanting to downsize, whereas the millennials are starting to, you know, get into the market where they now need affordable housing, smaller homes. I'm not sure if I'm touching all, all the factors there. I, like I said, this is kind of a episode in and of itself. Yeah, uh, no, that, that, that's all great. And so what would you say to people that say, okay, well, we're obviously, you know, coming towards the peak of the market. There's some signs of a downturn a little bit. I'm just going to sit on the sideline and wait. What do you say to those people? I, I would say do not sit on the sideline and wait. Never wait. There's always opportunity in real estate. Uh, so let, I'll give you an example. So you can uh, adjust your strategy. So depending on where you live or where you're investing and, and what rates are doing or what prices are doing, and whether you're in a mar buyer's market or seller's market, you adjust your strategy in order to create you know, short-term income, like through flips and renovations, what I call chunks of cash, or buy and hold properties to build your portfolio for, for, um, for streams of cash. Um, but regardless of what your strategy is, if you're a buy and hold investor, whether it's in multi-units or single family homes or fourplexes, duplexes, the thing is, is what changes is the market more than anything else, not so much the strategy. So if I'm in a particular market, uh, today and then it changes over time and I can't invest in that market anymore because um, because it's become unaffordable or property values have gone up so much like Dallas is a good example it was a perennial market up until about two years ago but the last four years have been appreciating so much that there's now uh, a lack of inventory and um, a discrepancy between the rent you can get on a property and how much it's appreciated. There used to be about a 1% difference. You know, a $100,000 home would rent for $1,000 a month. That's a 1% rent to value ratio. That's great. That's kind of what we target with our company. But now we've seen those same properties over the last four or five years go up to like 150,000, but rent has only trailed up to about 1,200, 1,250. And that gap is increasing. So we're being quote unquote priced out of that market as investors there's still opportunity there, but certainly not as much. So what do you do? Do you stop investing? No, you just find another market where you find better opportunities. We're in 22 markets right now, Montgomery, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, the, the greater suburbs of Chicago, um, Jacksonville, Florida. These are areas where you can get good deals. There is inventory. Uh, the numbers work. There's, um, 
a, you know, a solid, healthy market. So what was the change? You know, I'm not changing the economy. I'm not changing the market. The, the, I'm not changing the business cycle or the real estate cycle. I'm just changing where I'm buying those deals, where I'm looking. And so that's why I say never, there's no reason not to be investing. The question is, is, you know, what is your strategy and where are you investing? Yeah. I mean, if you sit on the sidelines, you might be there the, your whole life, right? So you got to get in and get started. And, and just like you said, adjust your strategy. So since you guys mainly focus on uh, single family turnkey, what would you say the three, the top three things for passive investors to look for when investing with a turnkey operator? The top three? Um, well, we deal with single family homes, duplexes and fourplex. And occasionally we do, you know, uh, syndications not necessarily apartments. Like we just finished two that were cannabis related cannabis operations. And now we're in the next couple of weeks, releasing um, um, a real estate development, um, uh, which is a cannabis uh, based investment. So it's not always about single families, duplex, but that is the core business that makes up 95% of what we do. Um, first of all, the reputation is critically important. And this is true for any business, anybody, anywhere, no matter what you do, not just, you know, with real estate or turnkey real estate providers, but certainly you want to work with a company that ideally is full service and truly full service, has good, good communication, and it has a good reputation. Uh, so those are three key things. And you can, you know, with the internet today, being in the information age, a lot of this information is easily, um, uh, is easily found. You can do your, your due diligence research online, a lot of it at least. Um, but yeah, definitely reputation, huge, number one, because I'm not going to mention names, but there are companies out there that are, you know, in lawsuits, class action lawsuits right now, or, or, or unscrupulous. So one is reputation, two is great communication, uh, and three is um, you, you ideally would want to work with a company that's kind of very, very well-rounded, meaning full service. They have everything you need as an investor within their network from lending to inspections to title companies and uh, of course the properties and whatnot. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Kyle, but. Yeah, I know you are. And I think that, you know, with turnkey providers right now, I think that's a popular niche and I think there's a lot of people doing it and you definitely have to be careful with who you go into business with because turnkey in one person's eyes is not turnkey in another's. And, uh, you know, reputation is certainly um, a, a huge factor, but I just wanted to touch on the point that, you know, you need to know who you're working with and make sure they have that long track record, especially with turnkey single family homes. I just, I've heard so many horror stories about um, some of the people that they're working with. Can I make a couple quick comments on yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I think this will be um, a value to your audience, especially if a lot of them are starting out or they're new. Uh, first, first is, um, uh, <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought because now I'm thinking, oh man, there's probably five or six different things. Um, when you are um, looking at turnkey, first of all, there's no formal definition of turnkey. I guess this is the main point I want to make. Mm -hmm. So 15 years ago, I started defining what does that mean? And that, that term is thrown around a lot today and people don't really know exactly what is a turnkey real estate property and what is a turnkey real estate investing experience. For us, the way we define turnkey is this. It's uh, an investment that is in a good market, in a good neighborhood, that is new or like new, ideally tenant occupied, under professional full service property management, and is cash flow positive from day one. That to us is what a turnkey investment is and should be, and that's, that's what we deal with. The reason I say that is because a lot of people loosely define turnkey as something that 
could be leased or is leased and in, in is generating you know cash flow but is not necessarily in good condition or in a good area right you know and the second comment i'll make real quick is that people mistakenly think that turnkey is the same as rent ready it's not you can go onto the mls and find all kinds of things from single family homes to apartments that are rent ready quote unquote but the reality is is that that's not enough for it to be called a turnkey or at least a truly turnkey investment you know, anything could be rent ready if it's relatively safe, clean and functional, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's anything beyond that. So I, I hope that makes sense because that's a key distinction. Yeah, no, those are two important factors. So thanks for that. So if someone was just starting out and wanted to learn more about real estate investing and, and passive income, do you have any book recommendations? Well, there are tons of great books out there. Of course, you know, I always recommend listening to podcasts like yours. Um, you know, we put out a good one. Um, if you're getting started and you're looking for kind of a more of a financial book that sets the mindset, um, I know you've probably heard this, a, you know, dozens of times, but, you know, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki's book is a great place to start. Um, beyond that, um, the next book probably would be Gary Keller's book called The Millionaire real estate investor. It's okay. a blue book with white text. Um, it's kind of all over the place. It's a spattering of stuff, <laughs> but it's a really good book uh, because it, it, it kind of fills in a lot of the gaps. Um, then beyond that, the Rich Dad series of books is great, great content to stack on your existing knowledge base. So um, I, I have a book in manuscript right now. It was supposed to be released last year. I, I actually delayed it. It's going to be released uh, soon, but that would be one that would be specific to what you just asked me because it's, it's a foundation on real estate investing, but also how to invest out of state, like out of, out of you know, long distance. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Thanks for those. All right. Are you ready for our final four questions? Sure. All right, Mark, right. Let's go ahead and dive in. So what is the one tool that you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Gmail, <laughs> believe it or not, you know, so much of what we do today is, is, is that fundamental tool uh, of email, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, everything we do runs on actually the whole Google suite, the G suite of, 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 of tools. Uh, so we subscribe to that and it includes, you know, their entire, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, their productivity suite. Uh, of course, there's a calendar. They have a task app. So I use the task app and then, of course, Gmail. So that entire suite of applications is what my entire office uses, our, all, our, you know, all our staff. You know, if you were expecting me to say something fancy like Trello or mm -mm. Slack or anything like that, you know, it's, it's, you can do everything, you, almost everything you need with, with the G Suite. Yeah, that's great. Uh, can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Oh, I have a lot of mistakes. <laughs> so um, I'd say the very first mistake I made, uh, which was a bad and a big one, uh, might not sound like it, but that very first property I bought when I was 18, uh, you know, everything worked out so well and I held it for a number of years and it, I, I fluked out at buying it at, at the right time and it appreciated and I had a good chunk of equity, you know, tens of thousands of, of dollars of equity in there. Um, and I decided to sell it and I took that money, that cash, and I don't even remember what I did with it, but I certainly didn't reinvest it. Mm. 
and I wasn't thinking about it at the time, knowing what I know today, I would have obviously, you know, stripped the equity out and leveraged up and built my portfolio larger and faster. The lesson to be learned and the mistake I made is, is don't sell your property. There's no reason to ever, ever, ever sell your property. You can do a tax deferred exchange, a 1031 exchange out of your properties if you need to sell them and move you know, to another market and build your portfolio into better markets and bigger uh, and build your portfolio in terms of size. But there's, unless you have a medical emergency or some you know, compelling reason to sell, you should never sell. And that's the mistake I made is I sold the property, took the money, I didn't reinvest it when I should have you know, I was, you know, at the time when I bought it at 18. So I was probably, I don't know, 21 when I sold it. I'm not sure. Um, but, but, you know, you shouldn't really need to sell ever your portfolio. Yep. Great advice. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Take more time off. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I enjoy working and I don't refer to it as work like because my team and I love what we do in helping other real estate investors invest and build their portfolio and, and create that passive income. This is, this is more of a hobby. It's not a true hobby. It's a business. It's a serious business, but we love what we do. It gets us up in the morning. We enjoy it. We love looking at properties. We love talking to investors. They're all positive. Nobody's negative. There's nobody, you know, nobody's coming down on you saying, ah, you know, it's snowing today or, you know, my life sucks. It's like, yeah, let's talk about, you know, bettering ourselves let's talk about bettering my family's financial future so in teaching other people this stuff and helping them do what we did um, really motivates us so um, but because the point is because of that we spent so much time you know on investing and in the business and working with people that at least for myself I don't take enough time off with my family and that's what I got to do so to take my life to the next level I've got to carve out more vacations during the year Fantastic. And finally, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, really, there's two websites, and that, that's all, all I really need to give out. It, our core website, where we have tons of free information, and of course, anywhere from 100 to 200 properties at any given time, is our uh, Norada real estate website, N-O-R-A-D-A, Norada, realestate.com. And then the sister website is PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. And that's obviously titled after the name of the podcast, Passive Real Estate Investing. Perfect. Thanks so much for that. Uh, it was a great interview with lots of educational takeaways for both our active and passive investors. And I know we ran out of time to really get in detail with some of the topics, but I guess that just means you'll have to be back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alita. I appreciate that. Yep. And it also sounds like uh, we have another podcast to subscribe to and add uh, into our daily queue. So we're looking forward to listening to that. You guys have been great. I love your show. I love what you're doing. Keep up the great work. It's all about sharing the information and educating other people. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your time, Marco. All right, Thanks, guys. Marco. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast, and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode. <laughs>